Six ans à Damas, sous couverture lourde. C'est ça. Je présente Guillaume de Bailly, que vous connaissez mieux sous le nom de Malotru. Vous avez été amené à rompre certaines relations assez fortes. Comment on fait pour gérer ça Le retour à la vie normale fait partie du métier. Carte d'identité. J'ai pas retrouvé encore. Allô. How difficult is it to uh, direct, uh, and, well, write a script and then direct a script that involves so many different languages: French, English, Russian, Arabic, uh, Cambodian. Uh, I mean, how 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 much extra complexity does that add? Well, it's a luck that, that uh, almost all the actors, they speak English. That's great. <laughs> so uh, if you speak English, you can work with all the actors of the world, except, and sometimes, we had a very important actor that doesn't speak English at all. Uh, and then we have two translators, but... Uh, this business, you know, acting, doing a show, doing a movie, and actors from all over the world, from Cambodia, from Syria, from Morocco, from Ukraine, from Russia, from everywhere, uh, actually they speak the same language. The language of acting, of doing a show, of doing this, this job. You always find a solution to make to to you know to to make you understand you you always find a solution to to find the key to direct uh, uh, actors so some some uh, so so uh, there's a maximum of actors who speak English so it's very easy but in other situation you always find a solution you know to 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 make you understand. Bonjour, 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 mes amis. Welcome and bienvenue. Welcome. This is Killer Casting, and I am Lisa Zambetti. I'm a casting director in Los Angeles, and I'm best known for casting the long-running series Criminal Minds, where I've cast my share of agents, intelligence officers, terrorists, undercover cops, bureaucrats, and all with intricate plots that twist and turn. And that's challenging enough, but I cannot imagine how hard on top of that it would be to cast actors who have to be trilingual, to cast storylines that crisscross the globe with enormous supporting casts from several countries. But that, my friends, is what the casting was required for a show that I became so obsessed with and we're going to talk about today. It is the amazing French show called The Bureau. And it's available on Amazon Prime. And, uh, you know, the show is it's a mashup. It's a crime, espionage, suspense, psychological thriller, political thriller, romance. It's, it's really got it all. And to help me talk about season one, 
Because if you haven't seen it yet, I want you to become as obsessed as I am. And if you have seen it, you're going to love us talking about it and diving in and tearing it apart. But anyway, to help me talk about it, I have three very special guests. You're not even going to believe who I have with me today. But uh, I'm going to have my first guest introduce himself right now. Hello, my name is Tom Keegan. I'm a director in Los Angeles. And uh, great to be here with you today, Lisa. Lisa and I have worked on a number of uh, big projects, um, some very big franchises, and uh, it's I I mentioned to Lisa about this fabulous show I was watching, The Bureau, which a friend of mine had just turned me on to and said, "Oh, it's so great! You got to watch this show. It's so it's kind of like The Office. It's so real life and um, every day and." Um, it's interesting because one of my big things as a director is that I just say everything is local. I work on a lot of big franchises like Star Wars, for example. And then um, recently someone interviewed me and they said, well, you know, how do you make these grand stories come alive? And I was like, you just have to make it local, right? They have to be people who are doing something. They have to have lunch. They go to the bathroom. They do various things. And this is what I love about the Bureau yeah. is that it's so real people. So anyway, it's such fun to be here uh, talking with you about it today. Yeah, I was going to say some of the best scenes happen in the cafeteria of this yes, bureau. For sure, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, so Tom mentioned this show and it went in one of my ears and out the other ear. And I kept seeing it on Amazon, um, you know, advertising Amazon. I got, you know, someday I got to watch that show someday. But do I really want to watch subtitles? Do I really have time to read subtitles? What a, what an American thing to think, right, Tom? Um, yeah. And I, and it's not available dubbed, thank goodness. Um, and then finally, I watched it. And I, I think I watched like 12 hours straight. And then just it put me in a trance. I mean, I was it was like with me all day. And I just couldn't wait to get back to it. Anyway. But since, as many of my listeners know, I have one foot in the true crime space, and I know a lot of real FBI agents who've been undercover, um, I reached out to some of my contacts because I wanted to get the point of view of somebody who's really been in intelligence and who could really tell, you know, watch the show and tell us their thoughts and, you know, what they found compelling, what they found ridiculous. Um, and so I was very, very lucky to get my next guest to join us today. Go right ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Anthony Patton. Um, I've, I've worked in, in various capacities uh, in the U.S. intelligence community for most of the past three decades. Uh, I'm also, I'm, as a side job, I, I also write. I've written a number of nonfiction fiction books, some, some screenplays that have been uh, trying to shop around. And so for me, it's always interesting to look at uh, how the actual business is transformed to make it into a, a successful movie or TV show because there, there, there have to be some, some necessary adjustments because uh, this type of intelligence, human intelligence, in reality can be kind of slow and sometimes boring over time. Mm -hmm. uh, but to kind of dial it up and create that dramatic spark. There have to be some adjustments. I'm always intrigued to see how they use the tools of the craft to, to, to create drama. And so I'm very much looking forward to discussing this. I, I especially enjoyed the fact that when you look at sort of, there's a stereotypical American and British 
type of stories where in the U, you know, the U.S. you tend to get sort of a Jason Bourne, a lot of martial arts and explosions. I was just going to mention Jason Bourne. Right. I was just going to mention that. Continue. Yes. And then you get on the British side and they, they seem to be a little more um, like uh, Bond. Bond. aristocratic. Well, but, <laughs> but even more on the British side, it tends to be a little more aristocratic, a, a little more intellectual. Whereas I, I found with the Bureau that, like you guys said, it's, it's much more human. For me, it's much more like, like a homeland or the Americans. So what you have really sort of everyday people thrown into extraordinary situations. Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was, you know, I'm going to get into just nutshelling the plot, but yes, this is not Jason Bourne. This is not, it's not even as, as you know, it's not even the homeland, which I loved, but it is the nuts and bolts of an analyst life and how they make it compelling. Well, we're going to ask our, our next guest who I can't even believe is here to talk about this. We're so lucky. Please introduce yourself. Hello, um, um, my name is Hervé Jakubovic. I'm the casting director of the first season of Le Bureau. I've been working as a casting director for 30 years, something like this. And um, one of the main things I like doing casting is uh, looking for this reality. Of course, it's fiction. Mm-hmm. And it's what it was one of the most important thing in this project. I also work on on different uh, international projects with very different directors, but um, in a way, looking for the same thing, this reality, like uh, working with uh, Alejandro González Iñárritu on Babel, mm-hmm. or Michel Azanavicius, who did the artist. But I work on this uh, film called The Search about the war in Chechnya. And the process was the same, looking for people who look real. Yeah. That's one of the first things that I noticed about the show is there are so many characters to keep track of. It's it's just overwhelming, you know, and they're all from different countries and different factions and different departments. And you cast some indelible faces. I mean, faces that you recognize um, to follow their storylines. And I just love that. I, I, I was telling that there was one part of casting I bumped on. Um, but we will talk about that. It, it happens in season one. Um, but let me just give the, the sort of the, the rundown of uh, just, just a nutshell of the show, just for people who haven't uh, seen it. So basically the premise of the show, it's about, a spe- as far as I can tell, a specific bureau in French intelligence that has, you know, agents out in the field internationally undercover. Some of the agents are returning home from long missions. Some are preparing to go out for their first time. And all of these agents have internal handlers within the bureau who are like their lifelines and their points of contact. Um, And there are other analysts and specialists and tech geniuses and all the people who make up the bureau. And we follow many of them. But the one agent in particular that we follow is an agent named Guillaume de Bailly, played by the wonderful, inscrutable Matteo Kasovitz. Now, I haven't seen him since he played the nerdy love interest in Amelie with Audrey Tattoo. So that's the last time I've seen him. I imagine he's a big fucking huge star in France. Yes. But the only baggage. Yeah. The only baggage I have with him is being the nerdy love interest. Um, But yeah. So tell it. Tell us about how he came into the project quickly. Um. 
Yes, Mathieu is very, very famous. You could have seen him in, in Munich. Mm-hmm. And um, it was uh, Eric Rochon, who's the, the, the creator of the, this series. It was his first ID. Mm-hmm. But Mathieu was not available when we started the casting. We started the casting quite a long time before the shooting, maybe something like eight months. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was supposed to be on an Amer- American project. So we, I spent months looking for someone to replace him. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was available. Oh, I'd love to know that list. Um, uh, so anyway, so yes, yeah, so um, Matteo plays Guillaume. He's returning home to France after being undercover for six years in Syria which I probably couldn't even find on a map. I mean, I, I did not understand so much of what was going on. So it was, it was, you know, great. I had to pay such close attention, but anyway, he's been posing as a mild mannered French teacher whose name he uses in Syria is Paul Lefebvre. Lefebvre. Um, and that name will come back again and again. And like we said, he's not some kind of action star. He wasn't doing hijinks. He was just there to, to, I mean, Anthony, tell us what he would be there to do. Just gather intelligence, recruit assets. I mean, what would be his role? Sure. Yeah. So I, the one thing to highlight is, you know, in France, like most countries in Europe, they'll have usually two intelligence services, uh, an internal and an external. And of course, this is the DGSE, the E is for external. So this, so this is foreign intelligence collection. And this is a real thing, the DGSE? Correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. This service actually exists. Now, the fact that he, he was in Syria, I believe, six years undercover as a school teacher. So there, there's really usually two types. If, if DGSE or any service is going to have uh, collectors overseas, they're going to usually come in one of two categories, either official cover, which would be someone assigned to the embassy with the official you know, diplomatic credentials and all that. Mm-hmm. Then you have what is Paul, which is not official cover. And so the people in Syria have no idea that he has any connection to French intelligence. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a plus and a minus, of course, um, in the sense that as a school teacher, I think it, it might be difficult to convince people to provide you secret information because, because you're a school teacher. But at the same time, it allows you to move around and not be you know, under the, the watchful eye of Syrian intelligence. Right. So right, there's, right. there's sort of there's a plus and a minus there. Right. And right. so, yeah. So so what you have here is Paul is a essentially a non-official cover, deep, deep cover collector inside Syria. So then his job would be to use his cover. I think he, he had mentioned a few times that he was uh, the host of a of a book reading group and, and things mm-hmm. like that. So he can maybe attract people. Um, I believe that's how he met Nadia. It, it's it's some mm-hmm. some degree. And so. The idea is he would then identify, well, first of all, if there are existing uh, sources in Syria, he would then take over handling of them, and then he would try to find new ones. Gotcha, gotcha. And apparently he's done great, and he's come back from his mission is over. He comes back to Paris, and he's so beloved and trusted that he's made assistant director in his department, um, and his skills are immediately put to the test because another uh, agent goes missing, Cyclone. And, uh, you know, he goes into high gear and he's working every angle to figure out what happened to this agent. And that's all well and good. But there's one critical problem <laughs> that arises with Guillaume, that his body may be back in France, but his head and his heart 
are still in Syria because he's left behind, as you mentioned, a Syrian woman that he fell in love with, a teacher at the university, Nadia, who only knows him as Paul Lefebvre, you know, the quiet, mild-mannered teacher. And, and so this is interesting. He's always been honest about this affair with his handler back home. Like Mary Jean, I mean, what a, what a, what a character, Tom, Mary Jean. Oh my God. Are one you of kidding? My favorites. Oh, oh yeah. my God. And she's um, slow. It's a slow burn with her, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, she just seems like someone around the office. Well, I don't want to spoil because I've watched the whole show, but she, right. she gets a bigger and bigger role as the seasons go on. And she is really a, a fantastic character and really a great, um, great to have a woman character like her you know someone really fighting their way as a woman to 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 you know to to work up through the ranks and the echelons and kind of stand in her own power it's exactly it's, and the actor who plays her is oh. absolutely marvelous yes and everybody i would imagine everybody in the show is famous and we just don't know who they are i mean as far as uh, french no no um, some some are but but it was not something important for eric rochon he didn't care if they were famous or not. He just wanted good actors. Right. So, of course, there's the few um, quite famous actors in France, but it, it was not the uh, condition. Because that's what led to such, for me, authenticity, because I had no baggage. With My favorite character is Henri Duflo, who's actually the director of this part of the bureau. He just looked like such a schlubby goofy he's, he's been a lot of movies though oh he has okay no, well, i didn't recognize i've seen him in other things too but there's, uh, <clears throat> there's a good story about this character okay because to understand the process of the casting when i started there was no script there was no script no there was the storylines uh-huh no most of the dialogues nothing and so eric gave me some description of the main characters because he knew already where it was going uh-huh and but mostly I started with episode one more or less, and it's it was not even the final uh, draft. Mm -hmm. But there was one detail in the, the story, and I think it's still in the show, when the director with this character we're talking about, he sees a dead mouse in his office, uh -huh. and he's really touched. And when I saw this little idea, I thought we need someone, not the usual actor who can play the minister or, you know, big bosses. Mm -hmm. We need someone with humanity. Mm. Yep. And he's known for that. This actor is, is oh. really yep. He had such a oh. wonderful posture. He had this kind of, and I don't know if he's really like that or not, but as the character, he had this slightly slumped over posture, like someone a little bit beaten down by the everydayness and, he wears these ties, you know, he wears like a different tie. That's his one thing. You know, it's such like any office worker. It's like 30 years going to the same office, kind of slumped over. And while well, I wear a tie, you know, I'm known for my tie. They're right? goofy. They're goofy, weird ties. Like some have like dinosaurs on them. I mean, it doesn't, you know, it's his one little, you know, eccentricity. But this guy is, uh, and and also at, in, in I think it's very interesting because I think it would be hard as the actor also to do this role because really the first episode, he comes off as kind of a real like bummer, right? Kind of like a drag, like a joy killer. Yeah. You know, the kind of boss that, you know, uh, can suck the joy out of a room, right? <laughs> and, you know, after a while, you just, he unfolds, right? And that's so difficult in casting. I mean, things that I've cast sometimes, 
I don't get the script because for security reasons or whatever, I don't even get the script for what's going to happen. One time I, I had to cast, um, I had to cast this thing um, that had some Pashto people, Afghanistan types and um, a radio guy. And all I got for the radio guy was these lines from the radio guy. And I cast a guy who was really good at reading radio lines. And then I get the script, a script further down. It's like, he's got to do a death scene. You wow. Know, like moving death scene. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I, you know, like the actor that we got was really not that good at doing it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's, it's challenging if you only have the first episode. And, but what a wonderful actor, the way his character unfolds, the way he unfolds. Did they write? Did they develop any of the scripts around the actors and their performances once they had them? Uh, what do you mean exactly? Well, you, let's say, let's say you get an actor in a role, you get the cast, you have the first, you have the first episode, right? And mm -hmm. then you say, oh my God. Uh, uh, There's so the much actor. more talented than you think. Yeah, the actor so. playing Duflo. Yes, yeah. you know, we should have him do this. He's so mm -hmm. wonderful. You know, uh, it let's it write it around him. They probably did that for season two and three. For I'm 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 sure Marie Jeanne, the, mm -hmm. the character you were talking about, they they didn't expect from the beginning that she would evolve the way she she does in the the next seasons. Yeah, but yeah. Because watched... it's so interesting. I'm sure they kept her and and they. But for most of the actors, like um, even small roles, we wanted to have good actors in case mm -hmm. in case the writers want to develop them right right so i bet I, i work on every characters like it was a main character yeah so I love great. that i love yeah. that well let me just just drag myself back to just a nutshell in the plot so where we left off so um so he he can't forget about nadia right he can't keep it from his thoughts and one day he sees that there's been a bombing in Syria at her university building. And he's terrified that she was killed. And he does something that's verboten, right? He calls her after he's sort of, Paul, him as Paul Lefebvre has broken up with her and you know left Damascus, but he calls her and checks on her. And that leads to a domino effect of destruction <laughs> for a lot of people, because when he calls her, you know, she's okay and she's in Paris. And so their affair begins again, but she still has no idea that he's an agent. She still thinks that he's Paul Lefebvre and he, and, but she has secrets from him too, about why she's really in Paris. So Anthony, when you saw, when, you know, when you see him calling her, um, That's a really big deal, right? That he's reaching back into that life. Yeah, that's that's always the big challenge, right? For 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 the individuals who's under deep cover with a different name, and especially in in this social media age we live in, it you know it's probably borderline virtually impossible to kind of disappear off the grid. So mm -hmm. when he he was trying to as politely as he could break it off. Um, and then, yes, he, he kind of, he broke, he broke a rule and, you know, he, he did some basic trade craft and he went out and got a burner phone, right. To make sure that he wasn't using his phone and all that, which is okay. But I was sort of hoping when she said that she was in Paris, that it wasn't going to be totally coincidental. I, I was thinking that, oh, maybe, maybe he was under suspicion all along and, and maybe now the Syrians were, were checking up on him. Mm -hmm. Or because I, I just think that if you were that close to someone 
for so many years in Syria that he 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 might have had an inkling that she already had more that that she had this other life that that, that she wasn't telling him about. So I, I I was sort of expecting it to go that way, right? Um, but but certainly yes, certainly the, the idea of even the most uh, thoroughly trained deep cover agent, you know, is still a human, right? He's still going to make the phone call. And then I thought it was great how he tried to kind of cover it all up and make it look like he was having an affair. It's none of your business. It, it was, I, it, 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 it rang true. I, I guess I could say. Right. And he's trying to hide the fact that he's doing this yeah. um, and, and trying to hide it gets him in deeper and deeper shit. Um, so, uh, um, I want to turn to somebody who I know the character that Tom loves. There's another agent there that we meet kind of at the same time as experienced as Guillaume is. She is the opposite. This is her first, this is her first dance at the rodeo and her, the character's name is Marina Loiseau. And this actress is so freaking quirky. I, you know, Tom, tell me about your impers- your your well, impression of her. At, at first, you know, it, I, I, I'm really I'm obsessed with this character in the season, and it, she she, the casting was so brilliant, Hervé. I mean, really so brilliant because she's the least person that you I I would have have expected to be an agent and um, a, a, a quirky character. You know, one of these very um, kind of, I would say a little bit androgynous mm-hmm. women, but had this kind of ba- a baby voice, I would say, like, uh, you know, and just the kind Hello, of- Hello, I'm Marie Lazo. <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, a brilliant performance uh, and brilliant casting because uh, just a perfect, and yet, and seems so fragile, right? Seems so fragile on the surface as a person, turns out is stronger than, you know, almost anyone and is- and is so clever, and um, um, I, I just, uh, especially at the end of the of the first season, when when uh, you know she's in in deep danger, um, and further on, you know, as the series goes <laughs> on, I cared about so I just would I, I was watching the show at night before going to bed, probably a mistake, and going about what's going to happen to Marina? Oh my god. <laughs> I know, I know. They're not, they're not, not going to let anything bad happen to her, are they? But, um, she just was so disarming, um, and just, uh, I, I think, absolutely brilliant choice. Yeah. Can you tell us about that actress, Hervé? Yes. Um, for when when we started casting this character, Eric told me because you need to understand what you're working on, and and. Of course, it's not a James Bond movie with the beautiful uh, main girl. And Eric said, um, for a character like this, who is going to be sent in Iran, um, nobody must remember. She must be the girl who works at the post office next to you. Mm-hmm. So she must, again, she must look real, but it doesn't mean nothing. But, you know, this... Um, this sensation that is mm-hmm. she's not in a movie first. And then I met many, many actresses for the role. It's Bad. a casting process. And Sarah, she's got a singularity, something different. And it's not only her voice, but she, first 
she takes the scene and, and she understands the music, but then she keeps her personality. And that is very strong and very rare, I think. Mm-hmm. I really love her for, for that. Yeah. So the, the decision was quite easy, I would say, once I found her. Right. And Anthony, when you see a character like that, this new agent, first I wanted to ask you, so she was recruited. I mean, she really, her character really was a seismologist and a science person that they recruited. And as opposed to somebody who wants to be an agent and is like trained, like what's more valuable, what's more solid that somebody who has trained to be an agent and then has to like a, Guillaume, he had to learn all of these things to be um, a teacher or whatever. Um, but she didn't have to learn seismology. She was a seismologist. So, I mean, how does that work when agents are going out in the field? Yeah, I mean, my, my guess would be that they were looking for a, a certain profile. I'm guessing that they probably already had Iran in mind. You have a lot of issues with the development of nuclear weapons or whatnot. Uh, some of the nuclear testing, which can show up in seismic tests and things like that. So my guess is they probably already had an idea that they would need someone like that. And then, you know, maybe going through the universities and and whatnot, maybe talking to a network of, you know, professors or people they know, she probably came across the radar. Um, Now, in in a case like this, you know, especially if you're going to send someone, you know, deep cover like that, you don't want them you probably want to approach them directly to, to make sure that there's no connection with the French government. Whereas if they submit an application and they get hired and all that, then there's all this paperwork to show, you know, that, that they work for the French government. So I, I didn't, you know, they, they obviously couldn't dwell on it too much to go into the nuts and bolts of uh, how she was uh, recruited mm-hmm. and, and then probably would then need to have a separate talk that, that this is what they had in mind. And, you know, like you said, it, there's there's a variety of things. You know how she she certainly comes across as as non-alerting, right? It's not someone you would you would suspect. Um, mm-hmm. And so they they made the decision that they were going to try to insert her into this existing program that was run by the Iranians. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that became sort of the biggest challenge because she had to be selected by someone who was already you know had a probably no inclination to select a woman, right? So then right. that made it all the more challenging. They had to sort of manage the, the events and make a threat or two. And they, they really went all in to, to get her into that position. And they have to train her to be an agent because she's, that's not how, you know, and uh, they have to they put her through several tests. Right. Yes. Where she's like ripped off the street and and, you know, while still in Paris and tormented and, and interrogated. And she's got to even at home, you know, hold her cover and not say, you know, call your boss. I'm really an agent. I'm not, you know, I mean, does right. do you have to go through tests like that? Well, there's there's different types of training for for, for different programs. I, what, what I found most most interesting when she was. Uh, picked up off the street and and beaten and tortured is that it was as if she kind of knew it was a test all along. Yeah, at the uh, yeah she kind of right? yeah she does right 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 which, right right. Which and so that's the tricky part, right? Because if if you know it's a test, uh, then that has a different effect on, on the person. But uh, yeah, my my guess is that they were just trying to 
help her reach a certain level of stress, a, a threshold to see how she could, you know, hold together. Right, right. She so, seemed to really and, want it also. I mean, she seemed to really yeah. be gung-ho about getting the position, getting over right. there, not at all afraid. I wonder right. if that's... I think I think one of the most interesting sh- thing about the show for Americans is the the glimpse of outside the American bubble of how people mm-hmm. see these places that are so demonized, you know, Iran. Yeah. Right? right. Like just the idea of someone going to Iran, you know, in the US is like, "Oh my god, how could you even?" you know, like yep. your your life would so be in danger whereas Maybe from France, it's kind of like a country that has some issues, but you would go to. Um, she didn't seem really that frightened about it at all. Right. Right. Maybe that was her naivete, though, that she, I don't know. But it's so funny, everybody, because she, that actress had to, okay, she had to speak French. She had to speak English. She had to speak Farsi. Eventually, in later seasons, she has to speak Russian. I mean, did she already know all those languages? <laughs> or... Like, are you looking for actors who are twi and quasi-lingual? No, it's not possible to do that. I mean, sometimes because you know, uh, I, I, again, we didn't have script, so I, I didn't know how many languages she she was supposed to to speak. No, the, she she worked with dialect coach. Uh, for I mean, she spoke English, but uh, she doesn't speak Russian. I don't think so, and or Persian. Mm. And it was not um, something that was requested from the beginning. Wow. That was just so impressive. Um, Anthony, there is a character that's introduced, uh, Dr. Balse, I think her name is. So she's this psychiatrist, psychologist that is brought in to kind of assess the agents and make sure that they're not going crazy. And and she diagnoses um, Guillaume with post mission disorder that he, he, he's obsessed with being on a mission and, and has not kind of said goodbye to his persona. I mean, it is, does that for one, for one thing, is that a thing post mission disorder? And do you have psychologists on, on the feet in the field with you monitoring you and checking with you and assessing you? Well, yeah. So, so this part in many ways remind me, of the movie Hurt Locker, right? It's this idea that once once you got a flavor for the action, uh, you just can't do anything else. And um, mm. so, yeah, I, I mean, there, there probably are people who, who get um, so caught up into it that it's hard for them to go back and just live a normal nine to five life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think normally in the for most career tracks with the intelligence community, they, they try to balance that out of, you know, moving you around at different locations and coming back home to the flagpole and, you know, to, to try to keep it balanced. But certainly, yeah, they, 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 they do use psychologists, psychiatrists, um, you know, both to uh, assess the people doing the work and then the sources that they're running. Um, yeah. And so one of the terms that, you know, that uh, within the intelligence committee, it's just this idea of an agent. So, so, so technically, the you know Marina and Paul, they are what you would call case officers or operations officers, and the people that they recruit to give them secrets, those are the agents. 
Um, and so, yeah. And so you gotcha. how you look at them is, is, is going to be different, but I would imagine in, in, in a lot of high stress pr- professions, they have uh, psychological help available. Something Tom and I talked about that maybe by, by episode two, or maybe three, you start to feel so paranoid yourself because it seems nobody is what they seem or or there are double agendas and possibly double agents. And you start to feel just so tense and paranoid that everybody has, you know, you watch what somebody says, but then you're also watching for, for what they do when they turn the corner and they're alone. Um, it, it's, it's just sort of an incredible state of mind that you get into. Right, Tom? Yeah, I mean, I'd be I'd be interested to hear from Anthony, like, you know, when you when you work in intelligence, um, are you able to really quickly spot um, people in intelligence or are you, uh, you know, does does it and does it also lead to that kind of can it lead to that kind of paranoia of that nobody is what they seem? Um, yeah, I, I, I think if you let it get the worst of you, right. I mean, I, I think, um, one of the challenges is just sifting through all the noise, right. Cause at, at the end of the day, the overwhelming majority of people you meet on the street are just ordinary people. And, um, and sometimes there, there might be a tendency to become overly paranoid. Um, but I think once you get into a very narrowly focused mission set in terms of, of, of what you're doing, then with the training or whatnot, it, it, it becomes much easier to identify any anomalies. Um, and so it's just like any sort of muscle memory. I, I think if you were maybe in your casting uh, profession, there's probably after 10 or 20 years, you probably get a few quick tells, you know, that tell you, ah, yeah, yeah, this is going to work or it's not going to work. Whereas, so you're sifting through a, a lot of noise that someone else wouldn't see. And, and so I think that the more seasoned people can slowly get more comfortable with it. Right. It is very hard. We, we had a family member and my, one of my in-laws was a, uh, intelligence person and, um, you know, it only came out years, years and years after some of the stuff that went on, um, you know, just within the family and really the damage that it caused. Um, at home, uh, alcohol and drugs and, you know, the stress of it, the cover, keeping the cover and then shit that happened, um, really, uh, and and then you just don't know whether or not even to believe that person. Um, but some, you know, it's just too, you know, things go on that, that are too weird to be anything else. Um. But I think um, uh, I, I was quite fascinated by the locations as well. Like, did they did they actually go to some of those countries where they, where they were shooting? I mean, that seemed like it seemed like a glimpse, also into characters, um, you know, characters in Iran and characters in the Middle East and Syria. Like, can you actually go to those places? Um, you know, from certain countries, Is, can you, did they shoot there? I mean, what what was it like with the production for the actors? Were they safe? Were they in danger? There was no danger. They, they mostly shot the Middle East uh, in Morocco, mm-hmm. which is safe. 
Yeah. Many films go there. Uh, the problem for the casting was the Arabic spoken in Middle East and in North Africa is not the same. So the question was more for me, was more that. But of course, there's no danger. They didn't take any risk. It's still a, a fiction. Mm -hmm. It's not a documentary, even if it looks real sometimes. There's <laughs> one character we have not really talked about yet. Nadia. Oh, my goodness. This actress is incredible. And what a big, I mean, she's got such a weight on her shoulders because you have to understand why Guillaume would, you know, blow up his life for his love for her. And this actress, she she's so, be I mean, she's beautiful, but she's also so poised and strong. And she doesn't, you know, her handle, her handler, Nadim, she just says, no, I'm not going to do anything you say. Well, who do you think you are? We're in France. You can't boss me around. And um, she's such a patriot for, for Syria. Um, it, it, she's just an incredible character and actress. Uh, how did you find her? What is she? I don't think she's very well known, is she? She, she was not uh, at the time of the show and mm -hmm. frankly it was the most difficult part to cast it took me i worked on that from the beginning until almost the last day she appeared at the last minute wow met oh. so many actresses for the role and it didn't work it didn't work and because you you need to believe um she is intelligent. She is beautiful. She must be Syrian. She's not. The actress is not. So she oh. had to work on the, the language too. Because again, the Arabic is not the same. So she worked on that. Uh, but really, she appeared at the last minute. That's incredible. What a, I mean, I would love to well, cast her really in anything. We have to get her in something, in Tom. Character. I mean, she's... Um, Incredible. Her eyes, her whole demeanor, everything. Uh, yeah, she really um, uh, so such passionate uh, performance, really. And, and you must believe that this, the main character, Matthew Kasovitz, will take this risk for her. So she has to be fascinating. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you don't understand it. You know, the whole story works from from there, from the love story. It, absolutely. Was she living in France? I mean, did she you pass outside France. of France? She lives in France. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. And yeah, I, I keep thinking that if this were cast, this is like an American series. I mean, you that role, she would be so, um, I don't know, what am I trying to say, Tom? Like bravado, like she would be pushing into that persona. And yet what this actress does, the camera just wants to come closer and closer and closer to her. Like it can't get enough of her, you know? Um, and sometimes if an actress is pushing too much, the camera actually refracts backwards. It's like, okay, I get it. You know, you're the love interest or, she's or beautiful I, without being glamorous. Yeah. Also, I guess that's what I'm, know? yeah, exactly. Uh, she seems exactly. Her, her beauty is kind of soulful in a way. Absolutely. Uh, um, and, and all the people around her, all of the Syrians around her, the guy who plays her handler, Nadim, because she's she's I couldn't quite follow all of the politics, the Syrian politics. I just don't know that much about what her mission actually was. Anthony, could you describe it a bit so I can understand the whole Bashar opposition? I, I mean, I don't know that maybe it's a huge topic and maybe it's um, out of date by now, but I wasn't quite sure what her mission was. 
permission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Go. Oh no, go go. Anthony, go ahead. Yeah. So just you know, in 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 recent history, at least, there's been a you know an ongoing discussion in in Europe and the U.S. You know about you know possible regime change in Syria and whether or not Assad should go. And um, w- one of the important factors that's allowed Assad to stay in power is his close relations with the Russians uh, and the Iranians. And so uh, my understanding is that they were having high-level talks between Syria and Russia about the future of you know, what's going to take place in Syria. And, and so that's the Russia-Syria connection. Uh, I I didn't quite get exactly what they were specifically discussing. I, I just was, found it yeah. interesting that that, that 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 she was there at at a very senior capacity facilitating those those discussions. Right, 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 right. Um, and because of that, she. I mean, if if they found out that she was seeing an agent, I mean, her life would be and was, you know, put in danger because. You know, they would suspect her of all kinds of things. And, and you know, once she confides to Guillaume that that's why she's really here, he knows that, oh, my God, right. you know, I, I've just put her in such huge jeopardy. And that leads him to take really dramatic um efforts to save her and ensure her security um and that and and i won't go through the all the ins and outs because we don't have time (laughs) it's so complicated but um eventually because he knows that france won't do anything to help her because she does get revealed she does get exposed and he does get exposed to the syrians that he really is an agent but um he has to turn to the americans he has to turn to the cia and make a deal with them to, you know, double agent with them, and they will try to help get her out of Syria where she's being tortured. Um, so you have to meet some Americans. And <laughs> I have to say, I mean, I always expect that the Americans are going to come across as real assholes in, uh, you know, I kind of in an international TV series. But you and cast they and they do. For probably for good reason. Sorry, Anthony. Um, but when I saw who they ca- who you cast as the Americans, you cast this actor named Brad Leland, who I adore. He's in one of my favorite TV series, Friday Night Lights. He's auditioned for me many, many times. Um, but of all the actors that could have been cast as the CIA, you know, man behind the screen, you know, I, I just was bemused by that because I don't think we'd ever cast him as a CIA agent in America. Um, and then it looked like you had maybe a, um, an American national who maybe lives in France as his sort of assistant, like his attache or, or, um, the, and he was great. I thought that he was great. He spoke French fluently and he kind of looked like a G man here. He looked like uh, an American, but Brad, I don't know. Anthony, did you have any thoughts about the CIA mystery man? Yeah, I, I, I thought that that the approach was a little unusual. I, I think what Paul, I'll just refer to as Paul, what, what Paul was offering, I think they were rightly skeptical of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it I don't know. I, I I understand it that he was he was certainly desperate, and maybe in that desperation, he thought that maybe the CIA would be able to pull some strings, or it was not really clear what they would do with her because there's. Pretty clear she didn't want to 
I mean, be safe. She was a patriotic Syrian who wanted to help her country. So I, 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 to me, it just seemed like a real act of desperation. And, and at the same time, I was surprised when, uh, of course, this is when we learned that Dr. Lauren is, is working for the CIA as well. And I was, right. I, was a little, I was a little surprised that they exposed Paul to her rather than kind of keep her in, in, in the back room because she's in a perfect place to assess this guy's mental health, right? Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, to me, I, it, it seemed like it, it, it just really got to the core of, of how desperate he was to, to try to save her. Right. Um, yeah, that was a big surprise that Dr. Balsay is revealed that way because she's so kind of wide-eyed in the beginning. Like she doesn't really know right. what to make of all of these agents and yeah. and their, their, you know, crazy mental problems and all this stuff. And then she's revealed to be as, you know, more savvy than anybody. Um, Tom, did you have any thoughts about the casting of the Les Americans? Um, yeah, I thought it was an odd choice myself. <laughs> um, I thought though it was a... I could see that it was maybe a few of uh, of a typical American from uh, maybe a European perspective of what would be a typical American or unusual American or an everyday kind of American. I mean, if you met this this guy, my relative, who was who was in in the intelligence. I mean, like. Uh, you know, a, a real foot, like a, I used to say he looked like a football stuffed into a suit, um, you know, like a, a crew cut, you know, um, te text an all, all American, you mm -hmm. know, kind of guy. Oh, okay. Um, um, uh, so, uh, you know, I don't know if it was, a, it was a choice, obviously it was a vision of a character. I, I, I thought it stuck out from this, from the, from the ensemble for me as an American, but um, I, you know, I don't know how it looks from a French perspective. Maybe Hervé can, can speak to that. Honestly, I don't really remember the process uh, when we chose uh, this character, but it's strange to hear you talking about the, this European vision on, on American faces mm. or characters, because I uh, very often I have the same sensation when I see a French actor chosen, sure. An American movie, as I, I think, why, why this one? And, and <laughs> no, but it's a, it's like yeah. you probably have a vision of the perfect Parisian nice woman, you know. Mm -hmm. And probably we we fight during the casting process. We fight with stereotypes. Yes, of course. Mm. Right. Yeah. I was just wondering if you just look around and see, you know, what Americans have expatriated to France, you know, American actors who, you know, happen to be living in France, you know, because that happens a lot in England. If there's an American actor living there, you know, they end up in a Star Wars movie or 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 whatever is shooting there. So I wasn't sure if there's like a certain amount of American actors who are. There are very few American actors in France. Mm -hmm. So the choice is very narrow. And uh, I, mean, I know Brad Leland lives in Texas. I mean, I know that. So I know he wasn't there. But <laughs> most of the time, it's for a very small part because you don't want to spend millions, you know, bringing someone from abroad for a small part. Mm -hmm. but, and it's always a, quite a complex uh, process to contact American agents, oh, uh, French, sure. and, and, you know, justify who you are. 
because most of the time they don't know us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know. Exactly. So yeah. Except the director is very famous. You know, like uh, I, I've worked with uh, Thomas Winterberg and it was easy, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, otherwise, you know, Le Bureau, the French TV series, the first season, they have no idea what it is. Did right. you cast the Arabs and all of those kind of people, mostly locally? Yeah, everybody. Mostly and, locally, but, or did you go to other countries to have oh, I did a, I did a casting in Lebanon because I had a strong connection there. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, I received a lot, a lot of self-tapes from Lebanon. And, and of course, when we do an international casting like this, you you... You have an eye on, on England because there's a lot of choice too and it's close. And, uh, mm-hmm. Right. And the new technology, it's easy to organize a casting yeah. all around yeah. the planet. It's amazing, really, where you get. I remember I cast this one guy for something. He was at a boxing camp in Thailand in the bathroom, like at two o'clock in the morning, you know, doing an audition. He got the role. But, um, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, as we wrap up our talk, I just want to say how amazing uh, Mateo Kasselwitz was. I mean, if you don't love him, forget it. You're not going to follow him for five seasons. And I mean, and what he goes through, you know, I'm not going to spoil the other seasons that take you around the world and take his character, you know, um, oof, it just goes, oh, so gut-wrenching um but he's he's just incredible i mean the 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 way that he thinks on screen when you see him thinking and there's such a sadness in him and such a um kind of that thousand yard stare sometimes you really believe what he's been through and you really can see the strategy and then you also wonder, is he telling the truth? Is he telling a half truth? Is he, you know, it's, he's just a kind of a stunningly intense person to be following. Um, Anthony, did you buy him as an agent? And as he says, you have to, you know, his character says you have to be everybody and nobody. You have to just be able to flow through things and be credible, but not stand out, not be too memorable. What did you think of him? Yeah, I, I like this character. I think one of the words that we use a lot is uh, that he could compartment. I, I thought that he, you know, you're dealing with very different and sometimes conflicting uh, issues in your life. And I thought he uh, just, the, the, the way he presented himself, some of, like you said, even when he wasn't speaking, just when he was, I, I enjoyed the part where they would, you know, have to drop off their car and, you know, in, in the parking garage and then swap it out and just, some of those uh, scenes just showed that, yeah, he, he's he's very believable. Yeah, yeah. Tom, any any thoughts about? I thought I loved his physicality. I think he had a kind of physicality too, almost like a boxer, like his his he, body. He's yeah. a boxer. Oh, oh, he is a boxer. Interesting. Because yeah. he just had this kind of, you know, just in his body uh, physicality, and again, not glamorous not vain uh you know mm-hmm. not kind of showing off his jawline or anything like that just a guy you know uh, uh, deep you know like a a, a a regular you know seemed like just like a regular guy you know mm-hmm. such good such good casting um mm-hmm. and all and seeing him also you know when he went through difficulties when he suffered um and and he goes through some incredible stuff um, over the course of all the seasons, just how he pulls those things off just with such a fine hand. And 
I would say kudos to the directors as well. But um, you know how he how he pulls off that suffering, torture, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, without overselling it in a way, uh, just just inhabiting it. Just so, such such good acting. Friend, French actors are wonderfully trained and very good. I've cast a few things um, over in Paris myself, and um, the quality of acting is very high. So uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, he obviously comes from from a, you know a very refined training and and level of experience. Yeah, I can't stop watching French series now. I've gone on to call my agent, you know, Lupin. Obviously, that's a big hit. I mean, I just can't stop. It's just so wonderful. And uh, I just, I'm just thrilled to have found this, you know, finally to start watching things with subtitles. Uh, anything else you want to say about the series or anything we've, we haven't spoken about or anything that we've missed? We're good. Okay, great. Uh, Tom, Anthony, any last word? I want Anthony to tell us about his book because he does have a book that oh, I'm yeah. reading. Please tell it. us about it. Yeah, so I, a book uh, published in middle of March is called The Spy Mindset, The Business of Intelligence. And the idea there is I'm, I, because, you know, you're, you're going to find hundreds or thousands of just sort of memoir type books. And I thought, you know, uh, way back in the day, I, I got an MBA and I, so I've always tended to look at the world through sort of a business and numbers perspective. And I said, you know, there are some great lessons here, some great sort of conceptual frameworks that uh, people in the business world can use to help them think of information, just like you would think about anything else in business, whether it's inventory or accounting, just the idea of information and how we collect it. And so I, I try to take some, some case studies, some, some lessons from the intelligence community uh, to help, help people look at it. And so I took about 30 years of experience and try to condense it into one short book. And, I'll, and I, also, I also shamelessly plug, I, I do have a, a novel coming up. I'll be releasing in about two weeks and that's called Exfil. It's called what? Exfil. Exfil. Yeah. Okay, that's great. short for exfiltration, which, which is a right. term. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure like in three, two, one, it's going to be turned into a movie. So when it does, you know who to call to cast it <laughs> and to, to direct it and, you know, have a couple French people in there. So Hervé can cast it with yeah. me. Um, and Hervé, if you ever need any help finding Americans who are not Brad Leland, Brad, I love you. I'm sorry. I'm just, I know I'm just kind of crapping on him, but anyway, um, if you ever need any help, please give me a call. And uh, Tom and I are working on a million projects that we can't breathe a word about, but um, it's always a pleasure to work with Tom. He's such a delight. And I learned so much from him and we do have a lot of laughs and he puts up with me. So I'm very grateful to him for being here with, with me today. Thanks for inviting me today. This has Absolutely. been really fun. Absolutely. Well, Mezemi, thank you so much for being here with me. Listeners, run out there, join Amazon Prime and watch this incredible show. Um, and until then, a tout à l'heure, a bientôt. And that's, that's the extent of my French. So um, anyway, this is Killer Casting signing off.
Killer Casting is a concept created and produced by me, Lisa Zambetti, with audio engineering by Dean Laffin, logo art by the lovely April Laffin, website and big old fat opinions courtesy of Brian Allen Hill.